The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 37 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spectacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World. The Master Library, Kevin Straight Out of Hellions. Sweet Maddie, Trick or Treats. And the Educator of Exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1998. On today's card for the WCW World Television Championship, we see Chris Jericho defend against Raven. Mang battles Wrath. Juventud Guerrero takes on the Disco Inferno. Alex Wright takes on Fit Finlay. Lodi battles Perry Saturn. For the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, the Disco Inferno battles Billy Kidman. For the WCW World Tag Team Championship, Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell take on the Giant and Scott Steiner. Then, Rick Steiner battles Scott Steiner. In another singles match, Kevin Nash battles Scott Hall. For the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, Bret Hart battles Sting. Hollywood Hogan then takes on the Ultimate Warrior. And in our main event, for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Goldberg battles DDP. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Haunted House Show. It is I, as always, Mr. Matty Treats, and I am joined by my Trios Tag Team Partners. To my left, the Educator of Excellence. Educator, how's it going, buddy? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hello, everybody out there listening through the Retro Network. Glad you're checking in, talking about a pretty decent show uh, the semi-main event, not so much. Main event was a fantastic, fantastic match. Uh, looking forward to getting your guys' opinions on uh, the show as a whole and things that probably could have been cut out so that they didn't do the long overrun and give away the main event on Nitro the next night. I mean, hashtag spoiler alert. Jeez, just give away everything. <laughs> give uh, it away, baby. You're giving it away on free TV like WCW was right, right about this time. Uh <laughs> How is your December going, Educator? I mean, we are in December now. Solid December. uh, Decent sales at the game store for, uh, you know, post-Christmas or post-Thanksgiving with Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. Did really, really well for the weekend. Um, As always, busy with the the driving school. And uh, a lot of people are trying to cram uh, some lessons in before... What I think is going to be in an eventual shutdown again. So we'll we'll see how everything pans out. 
do you a question for you? Do you see an increase of students trying to get those driving lessons in, not just because of the shutdown, but because of snow where we're we're from? Yeah. So um, the snow up here yet really hasn't stuck around for too, too much. Um, but I, I am seeing that we're uh, a lot of students and even some adults that, you know, waited for a bit to try to get their license. They're trying to get some time in before um, I think there's going to be another shutdown coming uh, for non-essential. I, will, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, there's there's talk that we may be um, I've been listening, uh, hearing the, my driving school boss. Uh, her uh, weekly synopses, and she's been telling us that things aren't looking well, and uh, so we're trying to book as much as we can before there is a, a possible closure. So we'll see. All right, and to my right is the man, the myth, the legend, Mister Kevin Hellions. Kevin, how's it, how's it going, buddy? It's going good, going well. You know, uh, I I also partook in some uh, Black Friday sales at local comic shop. Uh, did Cyber Monday. I bought uh, gift subscriptions to various um, tube and hub sites. That I was going to give to people for Christmas. Oh yeah, what which which tube site did you do? Uh, a couple of them. Yeah, you know, they're they're not sponsors, so I don't want to. I don't want to say. No free sponsors. Yeah, and I, I also don't want to ruin uh, the Christmas presents I got for both of you. Oh well, that's good. Well, there it is. Well, did you click on a coupon code to save 15% off? Because if not, you can do that for fun.com. If you go into the show notes right below, click on that link, save 15% off one item at fun.com. They have some great stuff there. Um, of course, with COVID going on, if you're like in New York, like we are, you may get shut down. There may be restrictions where you live. So just do all your shopping online. You don't have to worry about it. Have it delivered right to your house. Just visit fun.com and save that. 15% off. That, that reminds me, I was trying to um, pre-order a movie for us, too. I know that we're um, getting ready for Santa with Muscles coming up here. Our, our yeah, Christmas yeah. Eve the, gin, the Gingerbread House Show? The Gingerbread yeah. House Show. Yeah, I'm kind of missing being able to go to the movie theater, so I'm hoping to find something decent to watch sooner rather than later. Well, might not be decent, but it is big and sexy. Really? Because hey, question, question: Did you search "big and sexy" on the tube sites? Uh, it depends on the mood. Okay, <laughs> oh, variety is the spice of life. <laughs> wow! So, one Kevin Nash is starring in the upcoming and very timely movie "COVID nineteen Invasion." COVID nineteen. So, my question. Yes. All right. So COVID-19 started in what? January of this year? So about a year, almost uh, coming up on yeah, a, yeah. a year when it started, right? Yeah, sure. Do you think this movie was already written before no. the invasion and then they just worked COVID-19 into it? Or no. was it made, was it written and made within a year? Yes. Or three months or whatever. Yeah. Yes. It's probably from Asylum, which is the ones that do like the Walmart direct to DVD ones that you see that they'll take a movie that's popular and change the name just a little bit and have a cover that looks a little bit like the movie poster. I've seen a lot of them, too. Hey, uh, uh, educator, can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's up? Did you ever hear a story about the $5 bin at Walmart? Uh, it's escaping me right now, so I would love to be reminded of it. Well, but before, uh, Kevin, I do want to hear a synopsis of COVID-19, but before oh, that, let me, just expl- let me just explain real quick that, you know, Walmart, when DVDs first became popular in the, you know, the early aughts, uh, they had the $5 bin, and Mr. 
Hellions here would always go. We would go. We would literally dig. We would be at that bin for, what, 20, 30 minutes? Because there is no rhyme or reason to it. No, no. Every so often you see a Walmart that actually puts them on, like, racks so you can look at it. But for the most part, it's dumb. Yeah, so uh, at the time, I think Kevin picked out maybe 10, 10 of the movies. Oh, gosh. And what do you, now, $5, so 50 bucks. What do you think Kevin did with those movies? Flipped them on eBay. Nope. Returned them? No, he <laughs> he put them on layaway. Oh, dear Lord. What? <laughs> and then never picked them up. <laughs> never picked them up. But <laughs> was wow. that... Did, did you put them on layaway because you found out that they did not take, uh, they didn't accept your student loan money that you, you were using to buy DVDs? <laughs> I used to buy DVDs. Couldn't no. use your dorm bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we were digging through, and I found a lot that I wanted, but I did not have enough money on me at the time, and I was worried if I waited till next payday, those tr- DVD treasures would be gone. What do you think that? I wish I had a list of what those DVDs were at the time. Like I wish I remember. Like I wish I had a cell phone that took a photo and we posted it like on Facebook or whatnot. But I just remember you having a stack of DVDs. But but anyways, Kevin, why don't you read the synopsis for this? Oh, of course. This uh, Kevin Nash um, uh, classic. Mm-hmm. COVID nineteen colon invasion. Official synopsis. Quote: Chinese bats invade America. it's up to navy seal team six to stop them they're stopping the bats or they're stopping the chinese they're stopping the bats i believe oh all right i guess i can't think wait that's just the synopsis that's it that's that's it what more do you need i guess yeah i guess when that's all that's what you got that's all you need right i mean i can't think of a better person for a seal for covert operations than a seven foot 300 plus pound guy <laughs> with with one working quad just fits yeah just fits right in well well it's funny kevin so on the run in this last week guys we we did the ultimate holiday you know playlist i've heard great things it's a good playlist right let's be honest here we've we've listened to it we have it on our phones i'm an apple music guy uh, the educator apple music guy uh kevin spotify Good playlist, right? Absolutely. I love it. I got to say, Educator Tony Bennett. What a song. That's a great rendition tried, of that song. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. And I really enjoyed the Slade song, Kevin, that, that you See, picked. You've never I, heard it before, but isn't it fun? I do like that. I, I don't like the Pogue song, Fairy Tale <sighs> in New York. I think that throws the whole thing off. So. Oh, I mean, it's a miserable song. It's like I'm stuck with you and I hate you, but I kind of have to love you, too, because I'm stuck with you. <laughs> So let's celebrate Christmas together. So it's a real depressed, miserable gift of the Magi song. I love it. I love it. So, uh, but it got me thinking, guys, like, you know, when we talk about car rides and stuff like that, that'd be a perfect playlist for a car ride. Now, there was a restaurant that I miss so much that shut down. I think Educator, you miss it too. Um, Hellions, you miss it as well. We used to go there all the time. And I just wanted to give a little shout out, a little remembrance of this restaurant. Now, we would go before wrestling events. It was a buffet. And it was the best goddamn buffet I've ever had in my life. I know where we are now. Yeah. So, 
Mr. Hallians, why don't you explain what this buffet was to our listeners? Are, are we discussing Plainville Turkey Farms buffet? Yes, we are. Oh, baby. Between Thanksgiving, I thought about the, you know, the, the playlist comes out to about 50 minutes, 48 minutes, I think it is. And it would have been the perfect amount of time from where we were living to yep. Cicero, mm-hmm. New York, to go to yeah. Plainville Turkey Farm to eat at their Thanksgiving Day buffet, which was open every day of the week. Every day was Thanksgiving for that buffet. Turkey, gravy, stuffing, potatoes, all different varieties of them. The turnip, the squash, the rolls, salads, um, green bean casserole, desserts, pies, all of it. It was Thanksgiving dinner every day, and it was affordable, too. Yeah, what was it? Oh. like? Was it like 10 bucks, probably? 10 bucks, maybe. 10, 10 12. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, reasonable, certainly. The last time we went, um, educator was was on a, a little bit of a diet for yes. this and he only ate salad <laughs> right well now, i think he had one real trip but all, the other trips were all like healthier stuff yeah, yeah. he allowed himself uh, one real trip but you got extra protein in your salad did, if you remember I this did get myself a little extra protein that day as as you you got salad and did you think there was a fly in your salad but here's the thing oh, it was not a, a fly that was not a fly man what was it <laughs> beetle, the one, the one, yeah, one very, very large beetle. Was it? Was it Paul or Ringo? <laughs> Both. So, so wait. So you were at the buffet. <laughs> you were at the buffet. You saw. What did you think? It was like a raisin, and you picked it up. Like no, no, it was it was buried deeper into the salad. So no, I wouldn't have known. And then when I started moving, tossing this. Uh, wait, no, no, wait, 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 finish that. When you started tossing the what? Started moving the lettuce around. Oh, what's that going sure, To make sure that the dressing was evenly distributed amongst all the veggies. We, uh, yeah, we got a little surprise in there. Luckily, already dead, but man, oh man. It was huge. Yeah. My call favorite. The, call the yeah, waitress over. Yeah, call the waitress over, and I'm like, listen. I know this is not your fault at all, but somebody is awful at their job. And she's like, what do you mean? And then I proceed to show her and she's like, oh, I am so sorry. And she proceeds to take my plate from me. And Did like, you just get a refund? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So. A little refund on the house. Um, I, I miss Plainville Turkey Farm so much. There's, I don't think there was a time where we would go down there without going to the Plainville Turkey Farm unless we were going to the other place with Johnny Rockets in the mall. Johnny Rockets. Yeah. Because the waitresses would do that little dance and Kevin really liked it. Yep. <laughs> it's the only reason to go. Have a milkshake and have a milkshake. And, 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 and a milkshake, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have um, issues. <laughs> you have plenty of issues. But speaking of having issues, today we're talking about Halloween Havoc 1998. We are live once again in Paradise, Nevada, Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. The date was October 25th of that year, and the attendance was about 11,000. Once again, a hot, hot crowd. This event is presented by WCW and the NWO. What do you guys remember about like the co-branding here? Were they really trying to branch the NWO off into having its own separate federation at this point? I think at one point there was talk that either an hour or a full show a week was going to be dedicated to just NWO stars themselves having matches either against, uh, you know, 
enhancement talent or just you know just completely strictly focusing on on their their guys that were in that cohort. I know that they did the NWO Nitro at one point, and they had taken over the show. But I mean, at one point there was real discussions whether it was going to be like what Thunder was or was turning into, or if they were going to take over uh, an hour time on Nitro. Yeah, they were really starting to push the idea of NWO being just a separate entity. But I honestly, at this point, this is late '98. I mean, the writing already began was on the wall for. The slow downfall to WCW. Um, I was gonna gonna say, like looking back on it, I almost wonder if WCW NWO was gonna go the way of Raw SmackDown. Like, uh, if Nitro and Thunder were gonna be two competing brands owned by the same company, then build up for pay per view matches. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that as the direction they wanted to go. Yeah. So, anyways, we get Halloween Havoc '98 started out with an epic Ultimate Warrior Hawk Hogan video. We follow that up with a recap of the pretty much the Goldberg DDP feud, and then we get an outsider splitting up video. Um, we get the giant pumpkin that that was fun. We you know we've talked about how they've kind of gotten away from the Halloween havoc with or the Halloween theme of the show, with the exception of the set basically. The, so, the entrance set, yeah, that's yeah. It. it was good to see the pumpkin, and it's hard to believe too that the giant pumpkin for as much fanfare and nostalgia that people have for the Halloween Havoc. Only around for how many Halloween Havocs is it going to be? Three of them? Two of them? I mean, I'm guessing they didn't put it on the sets for, like, a Clash of Champions or Saturday Night or whatever to hype it up. Like, Halloween Havoc's coming. Yeah, way too big. Yeah, yeah. memorable. Yeah, so our announcers, of course, are Tony Schiavone, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and now Mike Tanay has, has really joined the force. And we get the Nitro Girls coming out to do a little dance routine. Um, and that won't be the only time we see them. We see them several times, uh, throughout the, throughout the event. I mean, this is of course a show where the main event gets cut off on the pay-per-view feed. Uh, if only there was a few segments you could cut away or a couple matches you could cut away, uh, to, to, to make it all fit on a three hour pay-per-view. Yeah. Like somebody wrestling twice on one card, um, you know, a bunch of throwaway interviews, um, you know, dance routines. I didn't realize that this was uh, a Monday night show. Apparently, uh, it's kind of took center stage about a day early. I mean, is this just WCW not knowing, not, you know, no one's talking to each other? Um, did they get to the point where they realize, okay, it's too late to cut anything because now we're in our main event people and no one's going to want their time or their match cut. So we got to just keep going. Did they think that they were untouchable and pay-per-view company will just go along with it? Like, very curious what was happening backstage. If, right. if they found out and it was too late or if they just didn't care. I think at the time, I think that they thought that the pay-per-view would just, that the carriage would just carry it over, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't cut the feed. But uh, after the Nitro Girls, we get Mean Gene interviewing Rick Steiner with Buff Bagwell, who comes out rocking FUBU. I just thought that was fun. I think in the late 90s, everyone was rocking FUBU, though. Can't say that I did. Oh, Can say I did, that and I, I, did. Know, I know Kevin did. Yeah, black oh. FUBU pants. Oh, FUBU, man. Black FUBU jeans. That were to work, too. Well, you had the Speed Racer ones, too. Those were Echo, though, Speed right? Racer ones. Yeah, those were Echo. I had a lot of superhero Echo stuff. So I did make a note of it, though. It's eight minutes before we get into our first match on the evening because of all the shenanigans that happened. So right there... You cut down on that, and uh, 
you know, you could cut five minutes easily off that before yeah. before getting there, the, into into our first yeah, match. Yeah, and there were matches on this card, unfor- like had no bit that should have been on a pay per view, unadvertised matches, including this one, the the opening match, which I thought was a great match to be honest with you, but it was an unadvertised match. So we got a few extra unadvertised matches that are thrown in. It's just unfortunate poor planning on WCW's end and just whoever's timing the show or the lack of a timer. It's too bad because that main event that we'll eventually get to was a really good match between Goldberg and Diamond Dallas Page. Crowd was just super hot for it. So, um, But I guess, you know, everybody got to see it anyways uh, the next night on Monday Nitro. So is what it is hindsight's always 2020 yeah so the so the first match of the night is for the wcw world television championship it is raven taking on chris jericho and guys i have one question for you one like the educator said i thought it was a pretty good match but you know what took me out of this match was the weird camera work that was going on i don't know if you guys noticed this but when they were like outside the ring the handheld cameras were very shaky like even more so than what wwe does now um, just, were they trying to give it a different feel? Do you remember anything or was it just maybe they had their, uh, their B team in? I don't know if it's necessarily that I I'm wondering maybe, and th- this is just my take. I'm wondering if we're just so conditioned to the camera work today. I mean, again, this show was gosh, how many years ago? 23, 24 years ago. Um, so I, I just, you know, 22, 23 years ago, I just think maybe we're just conditioned to the current stuff that we're, we've been watching, whether it's AEW or WWE's current, you know, how they're presenting everything. It didn't bother me too much. I understand what you're talking about and the shake, the shakiness of things, but I, I just think we're just so used to current gen stuff as opposed to looking back at old stuff. I mean, you can think the production in WCW is changed from the beginning when we started this series with uh with you know halloween havoc to you know where we are now i mean i I think it 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 presented very very well on tv but i i do understand where you're coming from i thought it was just going for a chaos look to it anything can happen it's all crazy you know uh we got wcw and nwo and people can end up fighting at any time you know, uh, I mean, honestly, kind of like Raw was the crash TV idea, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, actually, why don't we just get right into the match, Educator? Why don't you go ahead and uh, are you going to break this one down? Or are we going to have the Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc breakdown of the night to start off the night? Curtain jerker hot tag? Not today. So we got the start of the match. Raven grabs the microphone. He claims he's on a losing streak. He does his infamous, what about me? What about Raven? Uh, Raven threatens to leave because he was never informed of the match. This was like one of those additional unadvertised last-minute ads uh, to to the pay-per-view card. Uh, We see Chris Jericho getting on the microphone, and he starts baiting Raven to get back into the ring. And Raven finally caves in and goes in to try to attack Jericho, but Jericho ends up just stomping him and taking his jacket off, uh, Raven's jacket off, and starts whipping him with his jacket. We see Jericho with a pretty hard clothesline and um, a foot on the – he does his little foot on the chest. Hello, come on, baby, cover, like he's doing the double bicep pose. 
uh, gets a quick two count from referee Scott Dickinson. Raven does a clothesline uh, and causes Jericho to go over the top rope onto the floor. We see Raven do a front suplex where he drops Jericho, kind of like abdomen, sternum first across the steps. Raven ends up running up those steps that are on the floor that he repositioned and jumps off of those steps to drop kick Jericho to send him flying towards the opposite side, towards the guardrail. Back in the ring, uh, we see Jericho Irish whipping, uh, you know, uh, Raven, and then he ends up catching Raven and picks him up and gives him like a stun gun, more hot shot clothesline over the top rope back in the ring. We see Jericho then uh, position Raven out onto the ring apron, and he does his turnbuckle bound to the second rope and then jumps off and does a drop kick to Raven, sending Raven out onto the floor. We see uh, Jericho missing a dive uh, off of the ring apron, and he ends up crashing into the guardrail as a result. Jericho does reverse an Irish whip and ends up sending Raven into the guardrail as they're brawling back out on the floor. Eventually, both men get back into the ring. We see Raven Irish whip Jericho into the ropes, and he catches Jericho in a sleeper. Uh, but Jericho is able to uh, power out by or breaking the hold, I should say, by doing a belly-to-back suplex. And then he does a running uh, senton onto Raven, and the crowd was kind of like, kind of popped for that particular maneuver. We see Chris Jericho uh, uncovering the turnbuckle pad in the corner, and then uh, Raven then catches Jericho for a pop-up power bomb. He does a double leg catapult into Je- for Jericho to send him flying into that top turnbuckle and then hits a running clothesline uh, for a uh, two count from referee Scott Dickinson. Raven hits a belly to belly suplex afterwards as Jericho was ducking, uh, attempting a roundhouse kick. Jericho misses that kick and then Raven hits a belly to belly suplex. Another two count from the referee. Jericho. Uh, tries to change a a victory roll attempt uh, from Raven and uh, goes for a lion tamer, uh, his Boston crab finisher, but Raven scurries over to the ropes to break the, uh, the submission attempt. We see Raven reversing an Irish whip attempt by Chris Jericho and he reverses it and he hits his even flow DDT. I got a huge uh, pop from the crowd Uh, goes for the pin only gets a two count. Jericho then hits a German suplex uh, with a bridge onto Raven and gets a two count from the referee. Raven Irish whips Jericho into the ropes, who ends up running and forearming Canyon, who had gotten up onto the apron to serve as a distraction. Jericho then does a double leg takedown onto uh, Raven and then twists him over for the Lion Tamer, and Raven submits almost instantly. Your winner by submission in the opener, Chris Jericho. All right, so we're going to take a walk. So, as you know, <laughs> there's graphic novels that'll collect a storyline, and then sometimes it's one individual issue, and sometimes it's the big crossover. Everyone in this comic universe is all crossing over. But if something's going on in an individual character's book, that version of the character is now in this graphic novel. So, for example, many years ago, there was a Superman story where he split into two beings, an electric red and an electric blue Superman. So there's a crossover where that's the Superman in it. It's a good book. It's a very nice story. We have this weird Superman in it. It's happened with Spider-Man. It's happened with Thor. It happens all the time. 
So when a character is going through an evolution to see them on a pay-per-view when they're not quite through the story of their character change is jarring. Raven is going through something here. And we don't get the Raven that we're used to. We get this Raven that's depressed, that's trying to find himself, that's without the flock, that's without meaning. And because he's portraying this character evolution here, it takes away from the match. And you're like, I wanted to see a good Raven-Chris Jericho match, which a lot of it's good, but he's got, especially the ending here, play up to that new character that he's becoming. And it kind of takes away from what could have just been a good match between we know who Raven is at this point. We know who Chris Jericho is at this point. This Raven side angle here lasts, what, like a month, two months, I think, where it turns out he's a spoiled rich kid, you know? And I would have rather seen classic Raven in this match than Scotty going through, you know, a, a bit of a hard time here. Also, if you want to continue with it's not quite Raven, he doesn't do his crucifix pose at all. He takes a knee and drops down. So I got to imagine WCW being a bigger company and having more attention. They didn't want to have any religious groups attack Nitro or Thunder and ask for it to be brought off the air. So, hey, Raven, can you tone it down here? I like the match. I liked it a lot. Not, I'd put it on like a best of, but... I, I think it was the ending there where they play up like Raven's not going to give up. And the next time he's in, he taps right away. I was like, I know long-term what story is, but like we were saying, this on a Nitro or Thunder and also saving time on the pay-per-view would have made a lot of sense. I, I like the fact that there was the, the television title match. Uh, there, I feel that there's other matches that should not have been on the pay-per-view that could have been eliminated. I appreciated this match. Uh, for what it was, and I thought it was kind of advancing the storyline a little bit for uh, Raven again, going from the difference from him, you know, scurrying out of the lion tamer to you know almost giving up instantly the second time it's successfully put in. Yeah, there's other f- filler on this event that you could take out other than the Raven Jericho match. Now, to you know, I mean, there's like four Nitro Girl segments <laughs> that you could easily you give her. Shut your mouth. But not that it's, uh, you know, too bad. Like, not that they're, they're too long, but you they add up. You know, a minute or two adds up over the course of, you know, the show. So um, after that, we actually get a segment with Bischoff and Hollywood Hogan cutting a promo. And then we follow that up with match number two on the night, which is Mang taking on Wrath. Speaking of a, a match that doesn't need to be on the card. Um, so what did you guys, I mean, what did you guys think of this nothing match? This could, should have been a WCW Saturday night main event. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, opener to nitro maybe, or opener to hour two of nitro, you know, I just, um, I, squeezing as many, I mean, we had 12 matches on the show. So many interviews, nitro girl say segments up the wazoo. I mean, you know, there's just no need for to, uh, filler. I mean, if we look at all the matches that were on the card, most were under 10 minutes. There was only like two or three that like went double digits, I believe, for the entire show. Um, luckily, this was a short, short and sweet match, um, giving Manga Payday, giving Wrath, uh, you know, a, a little bit of uh, more exposure now that he's not a part of the Blood Runs Cold gimmick kind of deal, not one of the ninjas with Canyon kind of deal. I mean, that's since long gone. So it's a new version of his character and trying to get him over. 
And uh, we got two hosses in the ring just battling back and forth. Uh, you know, and two guys that we've seen before on things and impressed by wondering if more could have been done, say, modern era with them because they are two bigger guys. Um, Manga just seemed like is always uh, that guy that someone has to run through as he's working his way up. And Wrath just, I think the only time we ever clicked was with Chronic. And maybe because it's easier to be a big guy that can't do a whole lot in a tag team. It just hides it better. Yeah, well, well spoiler alert, uh, we'll see Wrath in a main event of a Halloween Havoc coming up very, Ooh. very soon. So, um, kind of see that. So, uh, yeah, so why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us, Mr. Educator. All right, so Meng gets his intro, and he's in the ring first. And then Wrath comes to the ring, and Ming is sitting waiting for him and knocks Wrath off of the uh, apron twice as Wrath is trying to enter the ring. Eventually, Wrath gets frustrated and scoops Ming by the legs and drags him off of the apron down to the floor where they start brawling. We see chops back and forth between the men. Uh, we see uh, a guardrail throw uh, by Ming. Uh, as Wrath is trying to battle back, we see a front flip senton uh, from the apron to the floor uh, that is accomplished in this match. Uh, Ming runs basically, and as after an Irish whip, uh, that Ming throws Wrath in the corner. Ming follows up, but runs into Wrath's boot, and then Wrath follows with a clothesline to knock Ming down. Uh, Wrath ends up then going up to the second rope and doing a second diving clothesline off the, off the rope, and we get a two-count from referee Scott Dickinson. Uh, we see an Irish whip into the corner, and Wrath hits a running shoulder block to uh, knock Ming down. Uh, Ming eventually recovers and ends up hitting his like mafia kick, crescent kick, and then does a backbreaker over his knee onto Wrath and a pinfall attempt for a two-count. Uh, Meng and Wrath are exchanging blows back and forth, forearms, right hands, and so on. We eventually see Meng with a belly-to-back suplex onto Wrath, and another two-count takes place. We see Wrath doing a version of a Uranagi, or almost like a rock-bottom-like maneuver to uh, Meng, and he gets a two-count for that pinfall attempt. We end up seeing, uh, to wrap up the match, Wrath does successfully muscle up Ming for that meltdown pump handle power slam. Gets a huge uh, pop from the crowd, and we get a 1-2-3 pinfall victory for Wrath defeating Ming. I like the finisher. I was impressed with that. Probably the most impressive thing of this match. You know what this match needs? You know what both of these guys need? Bobby Heenan. Because talk about two guys that would have been perfect for him to manage to go against Hogan. Like Bobby Heenan seemed to always have a monster in his stable. Right. Like they talk like these guys with a manager that's just like has an agenda against your face champions pushing these guys. Heck, make them come out of a box and attack Sting, you know? <laughs> But, like, that would have been perfect roles for both of these guys, as opposed to just, like, you're... At this point, Ming is just there, and Wrath has always been just there, too. Well, we saw how effective Ming was with the Faces of Fear. I mean, God, on the previous show. Where, right? Yeah. Um, and everyone knows that, you know, the educator likes him stiff. So, 
I'm surprised he wasn't a big uh, Mang Wrath fan. Like he likes those hard hitting matches, you know. So hard hitting. Uh, well, I mean, look at Mang as Haku in the Colossal Connection, and be like working the majority of the matches to protect Andre. Right. Mink can absolutely get it done, but you gotta give him a reason to care too. No, absolutely. I uh it's just like well, like we said, it's a nothing match that did not need to be on the card. Especially when was Nitro three hours at this point or was it two? I'm pretty sure Nitro at this point was three. And the first hour didn't count because it was unopposed. But like so you're just well, honestly the first hour of this on. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is is you got to fill TV time. Why not just throw this match on there? You could build it up for a week. You got two big guys going at it. Like, not that it's going to be the main event of your show, but, you know, as right. you said, Meng's a gatekeeper for whoever you're pushing. So right. I don't know what they're doing. So after that, we get WCW.com. Uh, we have Kidman uh, with Tony the Tiger uh, being interviewed. They're just going over WCW.com stuff. And then we get match number three on the night, which is Disco Inferno versus Hooventude. Um Question for you guys. Does this card have too much Disco Inferno? Sir, there can never be too much Disco Inferno. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to fall asleep on the bathroom floor again because I got a fever. Um, I, I forgot how Disco great fever. his music is, number one. <laughs> like, it's fantastic. Uh, very entertaining. But, like, match didn't need to be this long if it was a warm-up match. And he's going to no. wrestle for 10 more minutes. Because hmm. is he the the heel in this yeah, he's know. he's like the a, heel, but like a lovable heel. He's right, the, you want him to get there, but he's still the heel. It's kind of odd. He's the Santino of that generation. But, but once again, mm-hmm. we're talking about how he's in a long match. It's the same thing with with Luger from the previous ones, like yeah. right. where it doesn't right. make sense. He's in a long match. He should have cheated to get into the main. I, I don't know. Don't get me going. But uh, what do you guys think of this match? I just. I just, when they were, you know, coming to the ring separately, Hooventude and Disco, yeah, they look like cruiserweights. But then when they're side by side in the ring, like, Glenn Gravitti is, like, jacked to the gills compared to Hooventude. He just looks so much bigger. Yeah, just so much bigger, so much more defined than Hooventude Guerrero. Um, So it was hard to buy that he, you know, was of cruiserweight size and i know that they were there's a storyline that they were kind of going along with that you know disco inferno was kind of cheating on the scale to make weight for the matches and so on but just so dramatic the difference in size and it was a good competitive match back and forth between the two i don't know if this will be better after the breakdown but like it shouldn't the match shouldn't have worked but it did like it absolutely should not have worked i'm like this is such a weird match this is such contrasting styles why am i enjoying the hell out of this match though i mean the disco is just a fun character i mean we saw that when he took on jacqueline the the month before he's a great performer i mean he was a really good performer so probably a little underrated too for for 40 would you compare disco inferno would he be the dilo brown of nitro of wcw at this point i mean i feel like i feel like dilo is better in the ring more more athletic yes. oh absolutely but personality yeah. wise maximizing his minutes i'd say from what we've seen disco is a very underrated sports entertainer right all right so uh educator or kevin hellions who's gonna break this one down for us oh i'm gonna definitely take this one so towards the start of the match we see disco inferno with a side suplex slam onto juventud guerrera we get a two count from referee charles robinson uh we see 
Juventud Guerrera ends up botching a like a, a leg drop kind of like over the shoulder onto uh, Disco Inferno. He's supposed to try to do like this kind of like a backflip off of it, but he ends up botching it. He goes for it for a second time, and he ends up instead going and doing basically a, a rocker dropper like Famouser onto Disco Inferno. We see Juventud Guerrero do a set of head scissors uh, through the ropes to dis- uh, send Disco Inferno off to the floor. We see Disco Inferno with an inverted uh, atomic drop back in the ring and then a running clothesline to knock Juventud down. Disco Inferno does a body slam to Juventud Guerrera, and then he goes off to the second rope and does a jumping forearm across Juventud's forehead. We get a two count from the referee. Juventud Guerrera with a reverse spin wheel kick and then who uh, to Disco and then Juvi with a crossbody over the top rope onto the floor as uh, Disco Inferno was sent out to the floor from that reverse spin wheel kick. Uh, we see Juventud uh, signal and attempt to do the Hoovy driver back in the ring, but Disco ends up reversing it and then does like a hot shot drop over the top rope uh, for a two count. We see Disco Inferno pick up, do a double leg takedown and pick up uh, Hoovy's legs and attempts to do a giant swing. He ends up only maybe doing two, two and a half full revolutions, and then he ends up like selling that he's woozy and dizzy, and he ends up falling down. And in the process of him falling down, he ends up headbutting Hooventud in the groin. So it was a pretty good comedy spot for the match. We see Disco Inferno hitting a standing vertical suplex. Disco climbs to the top rope. He takes a little bit too long. So Hoovy ends up knocking him down so that uh, Disco ends up crotching himself on the top rope. Hooventud climbs to the top rope as who uh disco inferno is prone and juventude hits a frankensteiner from the top rope onto the canvas back into the ring and we get a two count from the referee juventude attempts to go for a stratisfaction like bulldog but only gets a two count again from referee charles robinson we see disco inferno uh push juventude out of a victory roll attempt as juventude climbed on top of uh disco inferno's shoulders and he ends up pushing Juventud off of his shoulders and then kicks Juventud into the gut, scoops up Juventud Guerrera for a pile driver and actually hits a decent looking jumping pile driver. So we got a pinfall victory after the jumping pile driver. One, two, three pin for the Disco Inferno. Disco bumps his ass off for Juvi here. And I'm trying to think, like, Hoovy had just lost a match. Who's cruiserweight? Disco's going into cruiserweight. But honestly, like, overall hierarchy of WCW, I think I would have put Disco ahead of Hoovy at the time. Like, he didn't need to to do all of that for Hooventud. Plus, just, like, it, it's partly annoying that, you know, he does his dance and, you know, checks his hair and stuff like that. But he just has this ridiculous sports entertainment charisma coming off of him. And I... I can't believe it and i mean he works best as a heel because it's annoying too but it works honestly it seems like he took like the honky-tonk man's shtick and in a way updated it to a 70s musical style in the 90s (laughs) but i I, i'm watching it i'm like there's no way this match should work because disco is just sports entertainer he bumps well he cheats Juventud's got the Lucha Libre style, but I actually enjoyed the heck out of it. As I even wrote down, why was this match good? Because nothing about it on paper sounds like it should be good, but I had a blast with it. And then honestly, like after this, I was ready to see Disco in his follow-up match. 
Like they did a good job of building disco throughout the night. More disco for Kevin is what he's saying. So, uh, so speaking of another segment, Kevin will like. We follow that up with the Nitro Girls once again dancing. Who's your favorite? Who's my favorite? What Nitro Girl? Yeah, uh, Charmel. Hmm. What are their? Do you so, know their names off the top of your head, Kevin? That that was the question I was about to ask to see how many of the Nitro Girls. Can you actually hang on? Let me, is there a list of them? Rock. There's got to be a list. There is a list, but I want to know how many you can without looking. No, them but up. here's the thing. I want to look. Okay. Up, I, I'll tell you. I, I know zero. I, well, I know Kimberly and Charmel. So there's Kimberly. Charmel. The only two I know. There's Kimberly. Charmel wasn't in the group. She wasn't the in there yet. Yeah. She wasn't in there yet. So you got Charmel. Do you, know, do you have the exact names? Or, not, not there. So I, I, I got know, a few of them in my head. I know four of. I know four of the six ladies on the show. So you've got um, Kim, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. You have Mrs. Hickenbottom. The tallest chick is Whisper. Whisper, yeah. Whisper. She would have. She was the girl that was in the back row, far left. I mean, she's the tallest next to Kimberly. She's the tallest next to Kimberly. You have the. Uh, you have Shay, who was the the Asian girl. Mm-hmm. You have Fire, who was the redhead. F Y R E. And I'm drawing a blank on the girl with the short hair that ended up doing a program with Medusa. Sure. And then, there, yeah, the short. And then there was another girl that was the other blonde in the front. Uh, other blonde, long blonde hair. I don't remember the short little pixie cut haircut is Spice. Ah, uh, there we go, Spice. That was the one I'm drawing a blank on. So yeah, four out of six I could remember couldn't remember spice was uh, her name was really escaping me yep, spice was my favorite then she was a good backup i mean once uh, i really liked the original nitro girls until they got until they added you know like scott norton and it's uh, it just got overblown they jumped a shark when they added too many people so nitro girls red and black <laughs> and nitro girls black and white uh, i liked the little latino nitro girls they were they were, they were my favorite hmm. so enjoyed that so we followed that up with big papa pump he does some freaks math for us uh then the giant comes out with jj jj dylan i mean this is really the end of the giant right i mean he will be in the wwf in what, four months three months from this point because he'll be at st valentine's day massacre I believe yeah so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That sounds about right what do you mean sounds about right we covered the event yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just thinking about doing the math here. For for, yeah. So I, I mean, mean we're end of October, and it's it's, and it's November. Is, yeah, like three, 90 so, yeah. days here. Yeah, uh, it's always yeah. funny seeing Giants smoking a cig. I hope it doesn't stunt his growth. Um, we start with match number four on the night, which is Fit Finley versus Alex Wright in a match that probably didn't need to be on the card. Once again, I would have gotten rid of this match, and I would have gotten rid of the Mang and Wrath match. And that would have been, you know, that should have been enough time in order to let the main event progress the way it was, especially with all of the Nitro Girls spots, as well as all of the, you know, interviews and promos that were, you know, live in front of the crowd. You know, I I saw Finley coming out. I was excited for it. And then the match started. I was like, I get it. I get where you're going for here. And technically it's two with European style, but also kind of not how you know they wrestled each other it did not have to be on this pay-per-view at all no i means this is again another wcw saturday night 
maybe a Thunder semi-main event kind of deal. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right, so at the start of the match, we see Finley with a wrist lock takedown on Alex Wright. Alex Wright does a bunch of kip-ups as Finley continues to rock him back down. Eventually, we get a running turnbuckle uh, throw and a rolling counter by uh, Alex Wright as he runs up the turnbuckle and does kind of more like a lucha move to uh, escape the wrist lock from Fit Finley. We see Finley with a bunch of European uppercuts, a, a knee drop uh, on onto Alex Wright, who was on the canvas. Eventually, Alex Wright does recover and does two European uppercuts of his own. Uh, we're already starting to hear the crowd turn on this match. There's heavily, heavily obvious chance of boring maybe a minute, minute and a half into this match. We see Alex Wright do a catapult maneuver onto Finley, where and uh, Finley ends up uh, was draped under the bottom rope. So as he does this double leg catapult, Finley gets clotheslined onto the bottom rope. Finley does his own version of a catapult where he ends up snapping uh, Alex Wright up, who ends up kind of like hitting his chest onto the ropes and then falling back onto uh, the exposed knees of Fit Finley, kind of more like working a submission on the back. We see Finley tossing Alex Wright over the top rope onto the floor, and we see some vicious forearms to the lower back and kidneys to Alex Wright. We see Finley back in the ring doing a fireman's carry drop, or I'm sorry, out on the floor, a fireman's carry drop uh, to Alex Wright where he picks him up and then basically drops him almost throat first over the guardrail. Both men eventually work their way back into the ring. Alex Wright does a running cross body charge uh, to Finley who was near the ropes and both men tumble over the top rope again back onto the floor. Eventually, Finley gets back into the ring. Alex Wright climbs to the top rope and goes for a top rope missile dropkick. Finley ends up sidestepping, and Alex Wright crashes in onto the canvas. Finley tries to do a running shoulder block into the corner, but Alex Wright moves, and Finley ends up charging into the post. We see Alex Wright then finish the match, surprisingly, with a pinfall victory. He ends up setting up uh, Finley for a rude awakening like neckbreaker. Doesn't do the hip gyrations or anything, but a very similar rude awakening like neckbreaker. Drops Finley near the center of the ring and gets a cover and a pinfall. One, two, three win for Alex Wright, winning with a neckbreaker. Now, honestly, with the ring post spot two, I was wondering if that was the planned finish and to take place at that time. I thought maybe Finley got his bell rung a little bit and they just rushed to the finish while it was happening. I also like with what we know of Finley now, I'm wondering if they purposely put him with Alex Wright to try to make Alex Wright a little better, get a better match out of him, try to bump him up some. I mentioned it during the disco match, but it was this match where I actually put a note in of Alex Wright, just please stop dancing. It was just continuous. And you're against, thank you. You're against Fit Finley. Like he's not against a jobber on Saturday night. It's against Fit Finley. Stop dancing for a minute. Dance when you get the win. Anything other than during this match against Fit, the Belfast Bruiser. But Disco Inferno, please keep dancing. This, it's, I don't know, it's different for some reason. Maybe, honestly, maybe because Alex Wright was playing the face here and Disco playing the heel. Could be, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, it's more of a. It's more of a heel move, 
I would say. Um, so we followed that up with Ernest Miller uh, getting interviewed by Tony the Tiger once again. And then match number five on the night, which is another match that did not need to be on the card, is Lodi taking on Saturn. I mean, these are nothing matches. These are nothing matches. And I myself, I found myself to be distracted most by Lodi's ring gear and the rings that were around his waistband that were just clanging back and forth. I mean, that's all I heard throughout the match. What limited, luckily, what limited the match itself was. Um, yeah, this, it was not a good match. Uh, the, the gimmick of the sign guy, you know, persona really, it it wasn't that amusing to me, at least looking back at this again, you know, after it happening 20, 23 years ago or so they, this had no business being on a pay-per-view. This is barely an opening match on a nitro. It's, it's a house show squash match, honestly. Um, thought for the match and, and we don't know we're not insiders for wrestling. We don't know secrets, but here's just my thought. Okay. Uh, tangent together. Rob Halford, lead singer of Judas Priest is openly out and as a gay man now, but when Judas Priest originally started, he was not, he was trying to think of some way to embrace it on stage and tell the world without actually telling the world so he goes to like an s&m bondage store and buys a bunch of like leather and chains and stuff like that and wears it on stage and instead of it becoming oh he's gay and he's wearing that it became wow what a great metal look and that became the image adopted by heavy metal but i would say there's a history of leather and chains and metal and stuff like that um in gay community so let's look at the gear for this match with Saturn coming out, Lodi coming out, and Charles Robinson's the referee. Is this entire match a rib? Like, is that why it exists? Is this match a giant rib? A rib for who, though? I don't know. Could it be is against it Char- Charles Robinson? Charles Robinson? <laughs> like, honestly, is it kind of like, you know, when Jim Ross would make Pat Patterson jokes? Like, as a, a big open secret here? Is this match a joke? At, allegedly? No, I don't think so. I think you're overthinking it. Yeah. You know, maybe they're trying to do the idea of now that the flock is disbanded, let's see what these guys are capable of doing. So you got Saturn in a match, you got Lodi in a match, you've got Kidman in a match. So, and then Raven was in his own matches as well. Um, But yeah, there's just so much, you know, stuff that did not need to be on the live pay-per-view, just eating up time when... You know, there's so much better things that, that so much better that the time could have been invested on uh, later on in the show. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and break this one down? It's not going to be much because uh, it was a sh- relatively short match. We see Saturn starting the match with an arm twist uh, and Lodi ends up doing a hammerlock based reversal. Uh, eventually, Lodi gets frustrated as one of the ring attendants had taken all of his signs and started leaving ringside with it. So we see Lodi basically getting out of the ring and charging after the ring attendant who took all of his signs and he ends up bringing his signs back to ringside. Apparently he needed those signs to do a spot later in the match. Uh, We see Saturn with a face breaker over his knee and he ends up doing a a, a sweep of the leg when, um, you know, call back to his former total elimination finish where he used to do the sweep from behind. Uh, yeah, it was a really cool combination, the face breaker and the sweep. Lodi ends up uh, going out of the ring. 
uh, to look for his signs. Ends up holding one of his signs up in the air, and then Saturn ends up chasing after him, and then ends up front suplexing uh, Lodi back into the ring from the ring apron. We see Saturn with an Irish whip to Lodi in the corner, but Lodi then tosses out on the floor or goes out on the floor and threatens to leave the match. But Saturn ends up chasing him and ends up bringing him back into the ring. We see Saturn with a belly to belly suplex. He does a T-bone suplex to Lodi and then does a like a Falcon Arrow uh, sit out suplex uh, bomb kind of deal. And then eventually Saturn does set up for the Death Valley driver and hits it square, flush on his shoulders, right into the ring. One, two, three, pinfall win by Perry Saturn. I mean, a credit to you for writing anything. This is a glorified house show match. Like this is this is a Saturn match on metal or jacked, except he doesn't take liberties with his opponent for it. Like this has no spot on a pay-per-view. The only reason this should be in a pay-per-view is if that pay-per-view also had like a 15-minute intermission. And they just threw this match on during that 15-minute intermission. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at things to cut, <laughs> this is... Yeah. Yeah, but this is that segment that you that you should have cut. So, speaking of another segment you should have cut, uh, we have more Nitro Girls after. So, we have gone from... Just listen to this. Nitro Girls, the Big, Bob, the Big Papa Pump promo, Fit Finley, Alex Wright. Uh, you know, we got the Ernest Cat Miller, Lee Marshall thing, then the Lodi match, and then more Nitro Girl. You could have cut all of that out. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Um, and Absolutely. And then we get match yeah. number six, which is another Disco Inferno match. Disco versus Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, so is this the best disco match of the night or the worst disco match of the night? Um, I, there was a lot of, uh, him selling, being tired, being exhausted from the previous match, uh, that disco was doing. I, I liked the match. I liked his match with Juventude more than with Kidman. Although I do appreciate Kidman's efforts as always him. Now the clean cut had just won the cruiserweight title, just broken, just broken away from the flock. Um, it's kind of a, you know, fresh coat of paint on his particular character. Always fun to see Kidman in action, uh, a very thin Kidman compared to, uh, his run later in WWE, uh, when he was still in the cruiserweight, uh, division, but just, it's so noticeably different size wise, um, between the two, uh, the two stints that he had. Well, I mean, he just got the flock. He's not even cleaned up yet. Yeah, it's not even up to rehab, you know, some good rehab weight here. Uh, I wonder if Disco was given like too many notes, uh, you know, whoever produced this match. It's like, okay, you got to sell that you're tired. You got to do this. You got to do this. We're setting up this ending. Like just given too many spots that he couldn't relax and just wrestle the match fluidly because he his head was full of too much going on. And th- that's the best explanation I have because it wasn't bad, but it just seemed like he couldn't stop and calm down. All right, so why don't we go ahead and break this one down? All right, so Kidman ends up starting off the match with a drop kick and then a drop toe hold and then an arm bar uh, to work on Disco Inferno. Disco attempts a uh, back body drop over the top rope, but Kidman ends up landing on the apron and does this weird head scissors uh, to Disco to bring him, bring Kidman, bring his own body back into the ring. Disco himself eventually does a drop toe hold and ends up ca- causing uh, Kidman to clothesline himself over the bottom rope towards the ring apron. Disco does a very stiff Irish whip to Kidman in the corner. 
And here we start to see Disco starting to sell that he's kind of tired. He's kind of winded, a little exhausted because he's had now this is his second match. We end up seeing Kidman missing a dive uh, onto over the top rope. And uh, Disco ends up sending Kidman over the top instead, uh, causing him to flow over the top onto the floor. Kidman with a running bulldog back in the ring. Uh, or outside of the ring, I should say, but he ends up pivoting off of the ring steps as if he's kind of doing like Trish Stratus's Stratisfaction-like maneuver. So cool-looking bulldog spot on the floor, pivoting off of the ring steps. Kidman then throws Disco into the ring, and he attempts to climb to the top rope to do what appears to be almost like a frog splash, uh, but he ends up missing that frog splash as Disco rolls out of the way. Disco eventually does a pinfall attempt after that uh, big top rope splash miss, only gets a two count from referee Billy Billy Silverman. Disco with a chin lock and a rest hold. Uh, Kidman eventually fights out and ends up hitting a clothesline uh, after he rebounded after being thrown in the turnbuckle. We see Disco end up doing a flapjack uh, to Kidman, sending him way up into the air. And just dropping him belly first in the middle of the canvas. We get a lot of crowd heat from that maneuver because of how high Kidman was sent up into the air. We see Disco with a body slam. He attempts to climb off to the second rope and do a double axe handle or more like a forearm drop, I should say, onto Kidman. Very similar to what he did to Juventud in the first match. But Kidman ends up rolling out of the way. So Disco misses this. Kidman with a power bomb onto uh disco inferno only gets a two count and he ends up catching disco for a power slam after disco was rebounding off of the ropes uh and again only a two count from the referee we end up seeing disco attempting and does uh, successfully hit a jumping pile driver after his first attempt was reversed but after he hits the pile driver after the second attempt Disco, again, is selling how tired he is, how exhausted, how winded he is from his second match. It took him forever to finally crawl over uh, to do a pinfall attempt, but he only gets a two count from the referee. Disco ends up, Disco Inferno ends up reversing a bulldog attempt by Kidman and converts it into a belly-to-back suplex. And he ends up hitting uh, basically a front face like gourd buster onto Kidman for a two count. Disco tries to pick up Kidman again for a second attempt at the jumping pile driver, but Kidman ends up scooping himself out and ends up hitting a a sit-out face buster, very similar to an X-Factor. Kidman then uh, ends up setting up Disco in the middle of the ring, uh, or not near the corner, I should say. He climbs up to the top rope and does his version of the shooting star press, and Billy Kidman with a successful defense with a 1-2-3 pinfall over Disco Inferno. So I wonder with the way that the match was going and everything, it seemed like the overall story is no matter what Disco does, he's not going to be good enough to beat Kidman. But that also seemed to come into the match. Like Disco gets tons of two counts, tons of them. But not once was I like, because I mean, I I didn't remember who won this match, you know, 20 years later. Not once was I like, oh, Disco's got it. Oh, this is it. This is the moment. Like even despite all the two counts, I never felt, like he was going to win. I think the crowd kind of knew that too. And they played up the exhaustion and everything, but also just seemed to be like, listen, you were able to beat Hoovy, but you're not in Kidman's level. Yeah. So still treating disco like a joke in a way, you know, he's gas, he's blown up from his earlier match. He's not good enough to beat Kidman. 
the, the skinny guys we pointed out earlier. I mean, they were good moves. There's stuff I liked. Balava, I was just like, Kidman's going to kick out. Kidman's going to roll away. Kidman's going to avoid this. Like, I just knew it was coming. And I wonder if the crowd's kind of knew, too. Um, little thing that I noticed, though, this is throughout the evening, but this is the match. I wrote it down. I noticed it before. I noticed it after. Tony Schiavone cannot call a belly-to-belly suplex. He calls belly-to-back, side, like every any suplex-type maneuver, he calls a belly-to-belly, no matter how they're positioned, throughout the night. I never picked up on that. Crazy. Crazy, oh, crazy. Once, once you do it, it'll drive you nuts. Do you think it, you couldn't buy into it just because the Disco's character was a comic, you know, mid-card comedy relief? I mean, yeah. honestly, maybe. Yeah. All right. So then we move. I mean, did did any of us ever take Disco Inferno seriously? Like he was going to ever be a top? I mean, you know, he, he was a TV champ, but I mean, I didn't ever see him as a U.S. title contender. So there's no way he was ever going to be, you know, the world title contender. No. May, maybe partnered with the right guy. He could have done a tag one. Right. I mean, he never even had a serious role as. Did his character ever go serious? I don't think so. No, not even when he was in Filthy Animals. So we follow that up with match number seven on the night, which is Big Papa Pump with uh, the Giant taking on Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. Okay, so we got to talk about this because I'm going to lump these two together, match number seven and match number eight, because that's fine. you know, the stipulation is if if Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell can beat the Giant and Scott Steiner, they win the tag belt and Rick Steiner gets a match with Scott Steiner, right? Rick Steiner won super over with the crowd. I, I did not realize how, how, how much the crowd loved him, but the Buff Bagwell swerve turn, whatever you want to call it, of what, two weeks, three weeks where he was in the NWO, then the like... And then, so he he turns on him. He leaves, you know, mid-match, right, or whatever it is. And then he comes back because Rick Steiner pulls out the victory. Spoiler alert. Which is just shows you how much of a joke they've turned the giant into. That he's, right. he's losing after he dropped all that ice. You know, Kevin saw no future for him. So, um but then Buff Bagwell dresses up like a, a president. And yeah, <laughs> like it makes no suit. sense. No, like, how would he know that there he needs to go dress up? Yeah, logically, it doesn't make sense. He needs to dress up in a suit with a mask and then set up to come down the aisle or out from the crowd, you know, to interfere back into the match, put, you know, into the second match itself. It's just, it doesn't, the rhyme or reason doesn't make sense whatsoever. I, when you said two matches, I was like, how are you rolling in the next match into this? I wasn't even counting it as two matches. Yeah, it's considered two matches, technically, because... I, I, I see it. I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I didn't even think of it that way when I was watching So, it. like I said, Rick Steiner pulls out the win for the tag matches. So what did they do with the tag belts going forward? Do you remember? Oh, you don't remember? I don't remember the storyline. Or I so, or I just deleted it from my brain. I just, you know, from my recollection, at what the Outsiders broke up during the tag title match, and uh, Sting and Giant ended up winning the tag titles. Then Sting and Giant ended up having a singles match against each other at a pay-per-view 
where the winner of that singles match ends up winning the tag team championship and could then name a partner of their own. Giant ended up winning that match after NWO shenanigans and blah, blah, blah. So Giant is in possession of the tag titles, and I guess he's allowed to substitute in whomever, and tonight he lets Scott Steiner defend the tag titles with him, which is why Scott comes out with the tag titles. Rick ends up winning the match, and help me make sure, I believe that, if, remind me, Kevin, if this isn't the case, there was like an up-and-coming tag team, Raging Chaos, I believe, and I yep. think the the blonde guy with the curly hair, Kenny Chaos, yep. who was like a big, jacked-built guy, ends up being, a, 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 they ended up, he Steiner ends up picking him uh, to be like, he's like, Rick Steiner's like his mentor now. Or will serve as that mentor, and he's like the new kid kind of deal. And do, do, were they officially recognized as tag champions? Uh, yeah, Kenny KS is officially a former tag team champion. I think they lo- lose it like two, three weeks later. Yeah, so it goes nowhere, pretty much. Yeah, their tag. Te- I think the tag team was a part of was called like High Voltage, I high believe. Voltage, yeah. yeah, High Voltage, Rage and Chaos. So. All right. Do you want to? Um, okay. So, educator, how do you want to do this? Do you want to break down them individually? Do you want to skip it? What do you want to do? I honestly, I just I, quick overview of the match. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details of of everything. Um, y- you could tell there's an obvious swerve coming when Buff Bagwell, who's returning to action, is in a pair of jeans coming to the match. So you see that we see Rick starting the match. Scott Steiner and the Giant go back and forth working on Rick Steiner. Eventually, Rick Steiner does the hot tag to to uh, Buff Bagwell. They set up a double-team maneuver to Scott Steiner, but then Buff Bagwell just kicks Steiner in the groin and uh, turns on Rick Steiner mid-match, celebrates mid-match, and then ends up leaving, running up the aisleway. So I didn't understand how the the kick in the groin to turn, okay, that makes sense. But then later in the match, Scott Steiner ends up like punting Rick Steiner in the groin or whatever in front of the referee. And why that wasn't considered a disqualification, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I, I don't get it. But apparently it was a no DQ tag match as well as a no DQ singles match later. Uh, eventually, at the end of the match, Giant goes to the top rope to do a drop kick where Scott Steiner is holding Rick Steiner prone. But Rick Steiner breaks free. The Giant ends up drop-kicking Scott Steiner. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy out of the ring. And then Rick Steiner goes to the top rope and hits his top rope bulldog onto the Giant and does a 1-2-3 pinfall, wins the tag titles. Great. Now, as a result of the stipulation, Rick Steiner now has a singles match with Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner threatens to leave, but Rick ends up attacking him in the aisle way, dragging him back into the ring for the match. Uh, they go back and forth, um, clotheslines, belly-to-belly suplexes, and so on. And then we see this random fan that's dressed in a, in a president's or in a suit with a president's mask on. I think it was a Bill Clinton's mask. He jumps over the guardrail. And now suddenly Stevie Ray and Vincent are at ringside. The fan in the president's mask grabs the slapjack from Stevie Ray. He gets into the ring. He hits Rick Steiner in the head with it. And then he hits the referee in the head with it as well uh, to knock the referee out. Then the guy pulls off the mask and it's Buff Bagwell in a suit knowing that he had to come back down during the match. 
the bell is just suddenly ringing like it's a disqualification and then it must be on the fly they realized oh wait a minute this is supposedly a no dq match so buff bagwell leaves scott steiner ends up setting rick steiner up prone in the corner for uh top rope frankensteiner is successful with that buff ends up pulling the referee uh, over and forces referee Charles Robinson, who he knocked out, to start counting and only still gets a two count. Uh, Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner do a double team, uh, and eventually Rick is able to escape. He ends up clotheslining Scott. He drops Buff Bagwell over the top rope onto the apron. Rick climbs to the top rope, does his top rope bulldog to Scott Steiner, and in the background, we see referee Nick Patrick do a run-in, literally a run-in. He slides into the ring and just starts almost counting instantly. Uh, the timing on the referee Nick Patrick running in was actually really, really good. But we get a one-two-three pinfall for Rick Steiner pinning Scott Steiner. Uh, giant drop kicks insane to see. I mean, I know it's more falling than him like flying through there, but it's just insane that he even did it. Uh, the Buff Bagwell turn is just as choreographed as the Ric Flair turn from previous Halloween Havoc. See it coming a mile away just as well. What gets me is Rick Steiner looks amazing in this match. That he's kicking out, that he's taking these moves, that he's beating up everyone, that he's succeeding in it. Rick Steiner should have been pushed to the moon after this match. Immediately should have been like not holding on to a tag title with Kenny Chaos. He should have been like frontline against the NWO, winning U.S. title. Honestly, push him to a world title level at this point. He just looked like a monster. Honestly, he beat up Scott Steiner, Giant, and Buff in this. Build him up more and have him look like a legitimate threat against Goldberg later on. Streak still going. Like I, uh, so many missed opportunities here, but I was beyond impressed with Rick Steiner from the storytelling this match. Everyone just selling for him, doing the work. I, I just you could have done so much more with him, and he wasn't playing an idiot too, because you know Steiner brothers. Oh, he's the idiot brother and all. He wasn't doing that here. It would have been perfect time to update the character. Yeah, it really feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, he was so over with the crowd; they were going nuts for him. Well, it's. It's because he didn't have the support of Chucky. Oh, cheapers. On that note, why don't we go to a quick little commercial break and a big announcement. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Coming soon to the Retro Network in the House Show podcast feed. The guys that invented staying inside and watching wrestling. They leave the haunted house to take on the decade of decadence. The House Show Podcast proudly brings Saturday nights to Thursday mornings. Because for season three, the educator of excellence, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Mass Library begin to cover Saturday night's main event starting January 7th on the Retro Network. All 
All right, folks, we are back. And what announcement that was season three of the podcast of the house show Saturday night's main event. What do you, what do you guys think of that? Are you excited for Saturday night's main event? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Saturday night's main event was like the, cause I growing up never could be, you know, I was, I wasn't old enough. My parents would never let me order pay-per-views, you know, in the late eighties, uh, early, early nineties. I'm still an elementary school kid. Uh, but being able to see these late Saturday night shows, I remember every week I would check the TV guide and to see if there was a Saturday night's main event instead of uh, Saturday Night Live uh, uh, on NBC. And, you know, even though like in the TV guide notes, it would tell you when it was taped, you knew it was going to be a great show. And oh, so many memories growing up. My bit biggest memory again is the the V main event where the double Hebner and the Hogan Andre match and how that all played off on TV and I just oh, was heartbroken how that match finished and everything that eventually led into WrestleMania four. Yeah, I mean this is really your I mean this was your idea, educator, to touch on Saturday night's main event. I think that we all kind of concluded that the house show. Uh, in your house, that would be a fun one to start with. And then I really pushed for the Halloween Havoc series. Uh, you get, um, you know, Saturday night's main event. And then, sorry, Kevin, you don't get anything. I, I'm I'm pushing for season four to be WWE Confidential. I mean, they're they're on there. Yeah, see, I mean, we could. I would like to find like a season of Glow and do that. That would actually be pretty. If cool. you could find like the wrestling not the, Glow, not yeah, not the not the Netflix kind of movie series and all that, like the actual like. Legit from WPIX, all that. But it'll be it'll be fun. What about learning the ropes? The C- the wrestling sitcom. Is that Lyle Alzado? Any <laughs> NWA guys? He's a teacher during the day and under the mask at night. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Love it. Um, so why don't we move on to a Scott Hall Kevin Nash video, kind of uh, talking about the breakup, and then we get match number nine on the night, which is. Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. The Outsiders break uh, breaking up. Uh, what did you what you guys think of this one? I mean, this is more not really a match per se, but it is pretty good storytelling. I thought pretty good storytelling. Um, I I I liked their SummerSlam '94 match when Diesel was coming in as double champ and ends up dropping the IC belt back to uh, Razor, back to Scott Hall. I like that match a lot more than this one. I just wish that, you know, there should have just been a full finish to the match. But I understand the storytelling. Uh, The whole point was that Nash wanted to make a point about Scott. It wasn't a matter of beating him. It was a matter of, you know, slapping some sense into him kind of deal. Um, Great storytelling overall. I, I like this match a lot. I just wish there was a full clean finish. I, I get it, and no, it's not a match. You rank as a match, it ranks low. You rank it as a story. God, it's so good. The storytelling of this match is incredible. It makes me go, okay, I want to watch Nitro. I want to watch Thunder. I want to see everything, because this is the most interesting story in wrestling today, right now. Yeah, I enjoyed the story that I was telling, but then also, too, knowing where it goes kind of sours once again. Um, no. just cause you know, we really have like the, the end of the streak and all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like two months from now it's everything's reversed and they're all buddy, buddy again. And yeah, 
It's crazy. Yeah, it is nuts. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, we're getting close, guys. We have what? One, two, three, four matches left. We have not had the Halloween Havoc breakdown of the night. Is Kevin Hellions going to break down the outsider? Kevin, at this point, let me ask you, what match do you think you're breaking down? Because we have the Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, we have Bret Hart Sting, we have Hogan Warrior, and then the DDP Goldberg. I see. It, it, I will tell you, it is set in stone. Okay. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to change it on the fly. I see very good reasons for me to call any match other than the main event. The only the, the only thing that would be funny three. is if we said you're going to do the main event and then I just cut it, the podcast off and then you never <laughs> did it, which is a funny joke. We just cut we just cut your feed and, and, and treats and I just finished your show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, cut the episode and then release like the last fifteen minutes on Friday. <laughs> All right. So, uh, educator, are you doing this one? No hot tag yet. So I liked the storytelling at the beginning, Scott Hall coming to the ring. He's kind of stumbling a little bit, taking his time, getting to the ring. He's carrying his, his beverage of choice. Uh, I'm guessing he's drinking straight vodka. I'm sure it's legitimately water, but who knows? Um, Coming in the ring, kind of stumbling, selling the whole alcoholic. He's a drunk. He's a partier, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Nash comes to the ring, you know, ready to brawl. Real At the start of the match, real cool that Scott Hall throws the drink into Nash's eyes to blind him. And now Hall is acting like he's stumbling, but now he's really fine and he's just attacking Nash. Um, he sends Nash out onto the floor. Hall hits Nash with a microphone, and that kind of got a little bit of a pop from the crowd. Uh, the commentators were kind of shocked at that as well. And we see uh, Scott Hall choking Kevin Nash on the floor with one of the video cables from one of the camera equipment. Uh, mid-match, we see one of the trainers come and attend to uh, Kevin Nash after the whole Mike incident being bust, you know, hit in the head, checking to make sure he's okay. Scott Hall then grabs the live microphone. And he does his "Hey Yo" gimmick, and then he starts trash talking Kevin Nash to kind of bait him to get back into the ring. Eventually, Nash does get back into the ring, and Hall knocks him down uh, with a bunch of relentless right hands back and forth. They're going. Hall ends up doing a scoop slam. It was kind of impressive seeing Scott Hall pick up Nash and doing a full scoop slam. He calls for the outsider's edge, but Nash basically pushes Hall away, forces him away so that he doesn't have any attempt. Not that I honestly believe that Scott Hall could have picked up Nash to do the outsider's edge. Maybe as like a power bomb if Nash was, you know, on the second rope kind of deal and picking him up that way. Uh, but definitely not like a power bomb pickup in order to make it happen. Uh, we see Scott Hall climbing the corner and doing five or six punches uh, onto Nash. Nash ends up pushing Hall away. Uh, and then he kind of baits Hall as he won't fight back. He keeps, you know, waving to him. Come on, what do you got? And Scott Hall just continues to fire thunderous pu uh, punches. Hall is trash talking Nash as he's doing forearms and stiff uh, shots to Nash's body. Eventually, Nash uh, decides to go on the offense. He ends up doing a side slam on to Scott Hall after he fires Hall into the opposite corners twice through two Irish whips. Both men are eventually now down on their knees, punching each other back and forth in the middle of the ring. 
Nash ends up attempting to do a jackknife power bomb on the Scott Hall, but kind of Hall pushes himself out and scurries off out, onto the floor ringside in order to, to get a quick breath and to regroup his efforts. Back in the ring, Scott Hall with a wrist lock and a bunch of shoulder thrusts. He ends up paintbrushing Nash's head back and forth. Nash kind of gets annoyed with those efforts and does a stiff clothesline to Scott Hall. Nash with some forearms to Scott Hall's lower back into the kidneys. We see Nash drape Hall over the second rope and he charges from the opposite side and does that that sit out over the rope, you know, squishing Hall's throat over the second rope. He ends up doing that two times in a row. We see Nash with a bunch of just relentless knees to Scott Hall in the corner. Nash ends up holding up his hands as if he's doing like the little picture frame shot. And then he does those stiff elbows into the corner. Nash with just continuous knees, mocking Hall with his drinking issues, saying, hey, have yourself a double. We see Kevin Nash whip Hall into the ropes and he hits the big boot onto Scott Hall. Um, Hall's attempt at offense is just weak, weak punches to uh, Kevin Nash. They have absolutely no effect on him whatsoever. We see Nash doing a jackknife power bomb, and he drops Scott Hall really high on his shoulders, like really like stiff on his shoulder blades, um, and doesn't go for a pinfall. And t- instead, you can hear him verbally say, "Hey, I think Scott Hall, or I think he'll have a double." So Nash picks up Scott Hall again and scoops him up for the power bomb, but struggles to get him up, but then puts a second effort in and really powers him up and does a second jackknife power bomb drop. We see Kevin Nash then standing over Scott Hall's body. Must be an homage to the click days. He does a bunch of crotch chops uh, to uh, mock Kevin Nash or to mock Scott Hall. And then he ends up just walking out of the ring back to the locker room and he ends up taking a count out loss. Your winner by count out, Scott Hall. I, again, I really liked it from a storyline perspective here. Uh, Scott Hall f- fooled me when he came out. I really thought they're going to play up like he's drunk and stumbling the whole match. Then when he swerved it on Nash as well, I got suckered in. I thought, oh, geez, that's fantastic. We all thought he was coming out in a certain state. He's not. He fooled us all. Um, I think Nash should have marketed the nickname Big Bad Wolf and just gone with that t-shirts everything lone wolf maybe wolf pack something i don't know uh he's called that a few times during the match i was like oh, i don't remember that nickname but i dug it the power bombs are disgusting and so well done but just nasty and especially that second one where it's just all nash just practically deadlifting scott hall up for the move impressive as hell from nash honestly that he could even do it um, I mean, I, I like them both down punching each other. I like Nash's commentary. I like the, you know, it was, it was like, I love you and I need to beat some sense into you for the whole angle going here. It, it's not tarnished by like no one else comes out during this at all. No one comes out to, to really do anything with Scott Hall. No one comes out for Nash. N- nothing. I think it just made it. I, honestly, for the whole Halloween Havoc series, I think it's the best story segment I've seen for it, but we don't rank those. Yeah, I, like I said, I enjoyed the... It's a nothing match, but they, they make stuff out of it. I mean, that's 
that's the thing is it is the storyline that is the hook for this match so i thought it was i thought it was pretty well done so once again we follow that up with the nitro girls uh doing a little dance routine and then we get guys bret hart versus sting for the u.s title match now is this the first time they ever wrestled up until this point i think it was like you, uh, Bret Hart you think it would be a bigger heel. deal than what it is. Like they didn't mention it at all on, no. on the show. And it's a shame to think that we are basically not even a year removed from the, from the screw job. Right. We got basically, you got the whole like WWF versus WCW dream match here. The franchise players of both promotions. Um, and now they're finally together under one promotion, under one roof. And you'd think there would have been a lot more hype for this. But unfortunately, I just WCW didn't know what to do with Bret Hart. They couldn't capitalize on him, I guess. If you told me, hey, 1998, there's a Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash match about Scott Hall's drinking problem. And then there's a Bret Hart versus Sting match for the U.S. title. I would have thought that the Scott Hall-Kevin Nash match would be garbage and the Brett versus Sting match would be one of my favorite things on the card. And it's the reverse of that. Yeah, very much. I see it. I totally now, see it. Now, you didn't like this match. Was it because were you just let down by it? What was the reason? I thought it was like decent. I didn't think it was anything great, though. It's just literally, it's mediocre, but I didn't think it was bad. I think this match is a prime example of Brett no longer gives an ish. Yeah. Something that threw me off as well it, it Sting, just the whole visual appearance. You know, he's doing the Wolfpack gimmick and now the Wolfpack with the goatee. That really threw me off. I'm just was I I don't even remember Sting really sporting the goatee that much in wrestling. Um I know that he did the little soul patch in his lower lip. But then he ended up the way that he painted his face that ended up being mostly black anyway, where it was. So you really didn't see it that much when he was doing the crow gimmick with the white face paint. But yeah, I just this this looked for stings really threw me off. Yeah. So why don't we uh, go ahead and break this one down? So one of the things we were talking about with like all the things that could have been cut, like Bret Hart's music when they played it. Why did it take him so long to do his entrance? That I mean, there was almost like a minute of his full music playing before he finally works his way around the pumpkin into the ring. Uh, it just it seemed like forever for him to start working his way to the ring. So we got Brett coming down to the ring uh, as U.S. champion, and then Sting ends up following uh, with his baseball bat, sporting a new look with the goatee. Hot tag to hell. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc breakdown. Thought it for sure is going to be the Matt Classic coming up next. Sure of it. Okay, Hot Tag Night. So for those of you who don't know, maybe this is your first time listening to the house show, we welcome you. Come on in. I take notes as I watch the shows, and I do not know which match my co-host will call here for to be my hot tag, so I just write down my notes the same for every match, every segment, everything going on, little things for me to remember what I want to talk about during the show, or points I want to make, 
And these are just my notes unedited as I originally watched this. Let's bring my notes in for here. <clears throat> so Bret Hart, United States champion, versus Sting with a goatee. Lot of stalling. Sting finally chases after Bret, brings him to the ring. Has every match had an in-aisle fight and send the opponent back to the ring spot? Sting has control to start, but then Brett takes over. Classic Brett wear down the opponent routine. Hook a leg, Brett. 15 plus minutes would favor Sting. I disagree, Tony. Sting puts on the scorpion. The crowd finally reacts. Too close to the ropes. Sting is in control. Leapfrog, Brett grabbing his knee. Crowd is not buying it. Brett with... Uh, breast knuckles, Sting clothesline, Sting sees the knucks, puts them on, referee stops Sting, and Brett hits Sting with a nut uppercut. Brett in full control, classic Brett wear down moves of wear down moves of doom sequence. Fans booing Brett, Sting trying to get back up. Sting thinks that it's Brett, but Sting hits the referee instead. Brett drops a leg on the ref. Ref is out right in the middle of the ring in the way of everything. Superplex and Brett lands on the referee's legs. Brett no longer gives an F. Stinger splash, way too high. Sting hits the ring post. Brett grabs Sting's bat, keeps hitting Sting with it. Brett off the ropes with the bat to Sting's throat. Brett revives the referee, puts on the sharpshooter, and Sting's arm drops three times. Brett wins. Heal Brett, it's checked out Brett and NWO Sting with his writing committee. This whole match was odd. Sting is stretchered out of the ring. Long stretcher ride to the ambulance. And that has been your Halloween Havoc breakdown with Kevin Hellions. Yeah, it really is just a weird, weird match that takes place. Like I said, it's the, the first time they are ever mixing it up, and that's what we get. I mean, it's just it's unfortunate. The Stinger Splash spot at the, towards the end before the baseball bat it was just it you it, you could tell it was just going to be weird because the way brett like set himself up where he's chest first against the turnbuckle and we see sting running across the ring it, he does make a really loud thud when his head hits or appears to hit that corner you know that support beam that goes from the post to the buckle itself and he just sold it like it was a shotgun blast and just draped over the ropes uh, it took those you know, those bat shots to the back of the head and his back, and then the throat shot. Yeah, it was just crazy. Um, yeah, the sharpshooter finish, and then the referee being revived and just draping his arm three times. It was just a we- just just a weird match overall. Well, speaking of weird matches, guys, we follow that up with our co-main event of the evening. It is Hollywood Hulk Hogan taking on the Warrior. For the second time ever, what, it, what does does this match live up to the hype? Is it as bad as they say it is? Yes. So, well, here's the thing. Um, this is my first time watching the match since it originally happened, and I know that there is a huge internet following of how awful it was. For me, it didn't start to go downhill that much until the missed the fire spot 
and then all of the shenanigans afterwards to cover for that the flash paper Hogan goofing up and not setting it and lighting it the right way or whatever. I, I thought up to that point it was a good back and forth match between the two, given the history that the announcers are trying to play off. Uh, you know, Hogan looking for his redemption for that loss in Toronto and so on. Um, I didn't think it was bad, or at least that bad, until the the flash paper spot and the fireball missed. And then after that, it was, a, yeah, it was atrocious. I mean, maybe knowing that that's coming, I was harder on everything leading up to it and then after it as well. Because, uh, yeah, I, I watched it and I was like, oh, it's not as horrible as I thought it was going to be. But it's not good by any means, but it has just been played up as being so bad. You know what? It's like my COVID test. wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, oh, but I'm not looking to go do it again. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. <laughs> COVID-19 infection starring Kevin Nash. Coming to you very, very soon. Um all right, Educator, it's up to you now. Why don't you break this one down for us? All righty. It seemed that the, for me, the beginning of the match, it seemed to take forever to start with Hogan kind of stalling outside of the ring, walking around, jaw-jacking with the fans and so on. Eventually, Hogan does step into the ring, and he starts doing a finger point into Warrior's chest. Warrior with a big right hand to knock Hogan down in the ring itself. We see Hogan does recover. He does a knee to the gut and a few forearms to the Warrior. And he does an armbar-like twist to Warrior. Warrior ends up reversing and then hits the ropes and does a shoulder tackle, uh, knocking Hogan down. Hogan rolls out to the floor. We see Hogan stalling on the floor. uh, Again, kind of slowing the pace down before he gets back in. Warrior is asking... uh, for uh, um, like a double knuckle test of strength, uh, trying to bait Hogan back in the ring. Uh, Hogan instead uh, does a kick to the gut and does an elk collar. Or I'm sorry, Hogan ends up doing a collar and elbow tie up and then does a kick to the gut and backs Warrior into the corner. And then once Warrior is down, then Hogan forces his hands to lock up with Warriors. And then he drags Warrior in the middle of the ring. And so now Hogan's got the upper hand advantage. Um, There is an infamous gif online that exists from the WrestleMania 6 match with the way that Hogan's, the way the camera shot is, Hogan's back is square to the camera uh, and warrior. They're doing the similar spot where warriors powered down and warriors down on his knees. And just the way warriors hair was hairsprayed that match warriors like pumping up and he's shaking his head back and forth. And just the way that warriors head was positioned, it looked like there was some oral shenanigans going on in the match. We'll say, And I noticed in particular for this match that the way that the guy, that warrior kept Hogan angled, there was not going to be a repeat of that shot. He was always leaning off to one side or the other, or they would turn their bodies in a way so that there was never going to be any kind of misrepresentation as to what was going on in the match. That just, that just really stuck out to me um, watching that match again. So, uh, Hogan forces Warrior to knuckle up with him to do the test of strength. W- Warrior ends up 
overcoming and powering out, but Hogan kicks Warrior in the gut uh, to get the Warrior to go back down again. Warrior eventually does power back out again, and then both men hit the ropes and do a crisscross, again a re, uh, reprising their WrestleMania six match. Uh, Hogan does stop in the middle of the ring for the crisscross and ends up doing a scoop uh, slam on the Warrior, knocking him down. Hogan turns around, starts jaw jacking to the audience, and Warrior immediately gets up from that body slam, and then he scoops and body slams Hogan. We see Warrior clotheslining Hogan over the top rope and onto the floor. Warrior ends up throwing Hogan into the ring post out on the floor, and then eventually both men end up back into the ring. Back in the ring, Hogan runs the ropes. Warrior ends up dropping uh, Hogan with a shoulder block uh, or drops down to avoid Hogan and Hogan steps over warrior and Hogan ends up shoulder blocking and knocking referee Nick Patrick down to the ground or down to the mat in the corner. And then as a follow-up, Hogan drops a knee across the back of Nick Patrick. So blatantly attacking him once he was already down. Uh, eventually Hogan is working on warrior. He ends up picking up warrior and then makes a signal to the back to call in some of his NWO crew giant does a run in and attempts to do a huge kick to the warrior's head uh, as Hogan is holding his arms from behind, but warrior ends up moving and the giant ends up skull kicking Hulk Hogan instead. Warrior ends up clotheslining the giant over the top rope to the floor as the referee or as commentary is mocking how giant has had a really rough night in terms of uh, attacking his, his own teammates. Uh, Stevie Ray and Vincent had also made their way to the ring. Warrior ends up knocking both Stevie Ray and Vincent off the apron down to the floor. Warrior attempts from that big boot that the giant gave to Hogan. He goes for a pinfall on Hogan, but there's no referee. So Warrior then gets off of Hogan and then goes and checks on referee Nick Patrick, uh, only for Hogan to recover and do a belly-to-back suplex onto the Warrior, and referee Nick Patrick counts, only gets a two-count from that maneuver. Hogan ends up taking off his weight belt, and uh, he does a couple of very stiff uh, whips of that w- weight belt to Warrior's head. And one of the times, like the first one, the way he connected, it looks like instead of the belt hitting flat across Warrior, it was like the edge of the belt ended up hitting Warrior in the side. So that I'm sure that probably uh, stung. Uh, he hits Warrior in the head a few times and then a few times across the back. Hogan ends up body slamming the uh, Warrior and then he tries to do a couple of quick elbow drops, but every time he goes for those elbow drops, Warrior rolls out of the way. After the second or third elbow drop attempt, Warrior gets up. He hits the ropes to do his big splash, uh, a la WrestleMania 6, to go for a pinfall. But then Hogan also rolls out of the way of that splash attempt. Warrior ends up uh, recovering and strips Hogan of the weight belt. He starts whipping Hogan with his weight belt. He hits him three times. Warrior then wraps the weight belt around his fist and then clocks Hogan in the head with the weight belt. And Hogan gets busted open from this. And I don't know if it was uh, Hogan gagged himself to do that or if the belt buckle just caught Hogan right from that one headshot. But Hogan is visibly busted open. And we see this as uh, Hogan eventually recovers from the headshot, um, knocks Warrior down, 
And then in the corner, digs into his tights, brings out the flash paper, and you can see Hogan is dripping uh, blood onto the canvas. And unfortunately, Hogan botches the flash paper fireball spot. He doesn't light the paper correctly. He throws the paper before it's fully lit. He goes to light it a second time. By, but when it, when it lights up, he throws it too late. So they're now in improvising mode, I would imagine, because I believe the planned spot was that the fireball was supposed to hit Warrior in the face. So Warrior ends up punching Hogan. He climbs to the top rope, and he ends up doing a double axe handle off the top rope to knock Hogan down. And then we see Hogan doing a low blow to knock Warrior down. Uh, Hogan does the leg drop once. Uh, after rebounding the ropes, he goes for a second one and ends up missing that second leg drop. In the background, we now see Hogan's nephew, Horace, uh, come to ringside, and he's got a chair with him. Commentary is playing it up that, oh, you know, at least Warrior's got one person looking out for him now. Uh, Warrior starts to pump up and power up, and he runs the ropes, and he hits two clotheslines onto Hogan. Uh, now we see Bischoff coming to ringside. Bischoff gets up on the apron, grabs referee Nick Patrick to distract him. Horace Hogan crawls into the ring and swings the chair and hits Warrior in the back of the head with the chair, dropping Warrior down on the canvas. Hogan goes for the pinfall attempt, and he ends up uh, also uh, pulling and hooking on the tights to Warrior. And we get actually a pinfall victory for Hulk Hogan after that chair shot to the head. One, two, three, win for Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Forgot to mention, Warrior comes out sporting his Lex Luger hair, all looking like straw. Um, there's an exchange there, which actually, uh, I forget if it was Tony or Bobby comments on when they do the crisscross ring rope run, saying, oh, geez, I haven't seen this in forever because it is an antiquated move at that point. Man, they both get blown up doing that spot. And then I really think the fight to the outside after was to recover and catch their breath again and be able to like, okay, now we got to get back into it here. Um, end up with too much interference. Uh, there's a comment where, um, what is it? Um, giant, when giant Stevie Ray come out, that uh, Tony says the referees have taken a beating tonight. If the referees have taken a beating in so many matches, you have to comment on it, then you're doing that spot too much in one show. Maybe like don't have a ref bump until this match. If it's going to be such a, a, you know, big point of the match here. You're abs now you're absolutely right. That that flash paper fire thing is botched. Absolutely. Totally. But I never thought that the ending that comes may have been done on the fly. So now I really wonder, like, did the fireball not work? And Bischoff's in the back and ran up to Horace and is like, hey, go out there, hit Warrior with a chair. Um, well, you guys just beat me down like a couple of days ago. And I have this giant, disgusting scar in my head where there's seven stitches or staples or whatever. Yeah, don't care. Go out and hit him. They botched the spot. We need something else big to happen. Like, if that's on the fly, that's nuts. If it's not on the fly, it's just terrible storyline to to have him get busted open like that. And like, oh, it's just initiation to get into the gang. Because, I mean, really, I remember, you know, Stevie Ray and Vincent and Scott Norton and everyone having to be beat down to be in the NWO now. 
it's uh, they're both gas. They shouldn't have been in it. The match shouldn't have gone that long. Um, honestly, maybe the pay per view audience when this happened live, um, but you know, maybe they're the lucky ones because they didn't have to see all of this match. I I think because I, I believe Warrior did three matches, and one of them was what War Games match or tag match or something in his entire WCW career. Hogan pulled out some more matches, Hogan Rock being the most obvious one after this. But really, both guys are at a point. They should have been protected and should have been like tag matches or real quick, like five minute matches. Right. Absolutely agree with you. Well, I mean, Warrior didn't have the charisma that Hogan had. I mean, Warrior was very one dimensional. So that's why Hogan could pull out another match. I mean, a Hawk Hogan match was still a Hawk Hogan match. Like people were excited to see it. So. You know, Hogan Rock happening three years later. Was that was that a one? Is that when 18 was? Uh, oh, two. Oh, two. So happening four yeah. years later. Um, doesn't surprise me. Um, question. And I, I don't know. There's got to be like someone we know that we can ask. How easy is it to remove lighter fluid from your body? Like in the shower? Because they just douse warrior with it. Yeah. And I don't know what the planned spot was. I mean, were they just doing that on the fly as well? Um, I'm assuming that the fireball was supposed to end the match uh, initially, and then Hogan was going to douse him with more, and then I don't know. It's just, yeah, everything on the fly post that botched fireball was just shenanigans, craziness, and it just it didn't translate well to the audience. It, I'm sure it didn't translate well to uh, the live people in the arena or who's ever watching it on pay-per-view. Unfortunately, just didn't come across that well. I don't mean this in any way like for someone's harm, but just for my own curiosity. When you do the lighter fluid on a table and someone goes through the table, the fire goes out pretty quickly. Also, the table's not burnt. So in theory, is it just the lighter fluid that's burning? Like, could you put it on someone and only the lighter fluid burns and the skin isn't actually affected? Like, I wonder what sort of crazy level spot they're going for Um, So anyone out there, there's only one way to find out. If you sign up for Kevin Hellion's Patreon, he will have a video of him lighting himself on fire with lighter fluid to bring in to end this year known as 2020. So uh, for the page, how much is your Patreon, Kevin? Uh, There's a. The dollar level and the five dollar level. Now, do you have to be the five dollar level to get the burning video? I I don't know. I don't know. I'll figure it out by the time this episode goes up. Yeah. So uh, keep being a lookout for that. Um, it's really unfortunate that this is where like the pay per view cuts off because we are now to our main event. Michael Buffer does the introductions. We get DDP, the People's Champion, taking on Goldberg for the World Heavyweight Championship and. This was a great match. Like, I was shocked at how much I liked this. My first question to you guys is, is this the best Goldberg match ever? I liked Goldberg when he won the United States title from Raven. I appreciated that match as well. I, I think there's a few few matches that stick out, right? When Goldberg wins the U.S. title, when he beats Hogan, yeah, that's a big moment. Yeah. And when um, Brett beats him. Or not beats him, but they do the spear spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On Nitro with the with the jersey and the metal plate, which is is smart as hell. And then this yeah. match. Yeah. Um, for his WCW run, obviously, I think his best match in WWE was the Brock Lesnar WrestleMania match from WrestleMania 30, which was a fun match or yeah. 33 or whatever it was. Um, right. 
But this was, I loved this match. I thought it was obviously the best match of the night, and I thought maybe possibly top five. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about this. If we're talking any match to the list, this will be it. I mean, I know it's not a Disco Inferno match, Kevin, but, you know. (laughs) We can't all be Disco Inferno matches. Look at the jump in Goldberg's career, of course, obviously. But also in Paige, like Paige is absolutely trusted. Like, here's our giant star, carry him. Right. When we saw Paige just a little bit ago being the one like soaking up everything like a sponge. Now he's the one that they trust to go out there and do what he did, what other people did for him as he was coming up. Do you think, obviously, Paige was a big star, made himself. I don't even think WCW made him. I would say he made himself. Do you think they got all the juice out of that? Or did they leave some stuff on the table with him? I I think this is the highest point that Paige was. I know he ends up winning the title uh, in in about six or eight months. Or no, actually, it'd be about about a year and six months or so. Uh, He ends up winning the title in 2000. But um, yeah, I honestly, I think this was was Paige's peak in terms of uh, how over he was with the crowd and just how he looked condition-wise, physically in the ring. Um, just This is a fantastic match. I enjoyed this a lot. Now, revisionist history, knowing that Goldberg's streak ends in what? Starcade In a month and a half? Right. What if DDP would have won the title here? How big of a star would he have been? And then you start the climb again with Goldberg trying to get to DDP, and you start the streak over again. Absolutely. Be- becomes obsessed running through it. DDP saying, you know, not my contract that I have to give you, you know, the rematch and whatnot. And you could almost turn DDP. I mean, cause DDP's face at this point. Right. I mean, him dodging Goldberg could be a heel move where very, he wins very fluky. Yep. Um, you know, building up for a year to the next Starcade. just I mean, because I'm- knowing how it happens, knowing how unceremoniously, um, you know, he ends that, uh, you know, ends the streak and then you get the finger poke of doom, of course, right after, but you could turn Goldberg heel after that match. I can't believe I lost to page. I beat him before turn him heel and have page be this Uber baby face that this monster Goldberg is trying to destroy, like wanting to protect DDP cause he's theirs. And that's the thing is DDP had the diamond cutter, which was out of nowhere basically before right. the KO. So that could have been, Oh my God, he, he hit it out of the jackhammer. Like I had him, and then he's got this move. I don't know how to combat it. And that could have been a story they told, but absolutely they it's wcw (laughs) it's just kind of fascinating to think how like we've said how much ddp has grown through this whole event and uh it's been a it's been fun to watch i mean in all honesty i cannot wait to do our awards at the end of the the season because i honestly (laughs) think ddp is going to win like seven of them because he's he's been fantastic throughout this whole thing so be the dealo right yeah so educator why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us uh so even though there is dubbing uh from the wwe network um diamond Dallas page's entrance uh entrance for both guys the crowd was super hot for both of them even though it's not the self high five music uh ddp just super hard, hot charging up the crowd running that left right and so on going through the crowd to get to ringside and then goldberg's backstage you know um, you know 
walk through the arena to eventually ringside with the security and the police. Uh, just huge, huge, huge entrances for both. So start of the match, Goldberg and DDP tie up. There's multiple push-out attempts by Goldberg, and DDP immediately rebounds uh, after each tie-up. Eventually, DDP does an arm drag to Goldberg, and kind of Goldberg is like annoyed that he kind of fell for it. There's a tie up again, uh, collar and elbow tie up, and then both men. I don't know if it was a shoot, but it seems stiff. But they kind of spill out through the middle and top rope, um, over uh, out onto the floor opposite of the hard camera. Back in the ring, uh, there's a, a, a third lock up with the guys. Uh, Goldberg ends up taking DDP down. Page ends up sweeping uh, for the leg with his hand, and Goldberg ends up doing like a back handspring backflip to avoid. But after he lands, DDP goes for that same sweep again, and he ends up sweeping Goldberg's legs, knocking him down to the canvas. We see Goldberg doing a fireman carry kind of takeover slam, and then he starts working an arm bar on DDP. DDP ends up hitting a jawbreaker, kind of unsuspecting jawbreaker, he goes for the diamond cutter, but Goldberg pushes DDP off of that goal, uh, diamond cutter attempt, and DDP ends up yeah, sent out to the floor. There's a lockup again back in the ring with Goldberg, and DDP ends up doing an arm twist, and then DDP starts doing some a uh, bunch of chain wrestling maneuvers and eventually a drop toe hold to an unsuspecting Goldberg. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page ends up running the ropes and he hits a shoulder block by, uh, to Goldberg. Uh, but Goldberg's force and momentum sends DDP sailing again through the ropes and onto the floor. DDP on the apron ends up dropping Goldberg throat first over the apron. And then he climbs through the ropes quickly and does a swinging neck breaker. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page ends up sending Goldberg to the corner. And he ends up following up with a side Russian leg sweep to bring Goldberg down. We get a two count from referee Mickey J. Uh, we see DDP with a front face lock, almost like a guillotine like choke to kind of work Goldberg down. But eventually Goldberg powers out and does a, like a twisting neck breaker, very similar to Reno's roll of the dice uh, to break uh, Diamond Alice Page off of, the, off of that hold. Uh, we see Page trying to do a bunch of uh, shoulder thrusts, uh, but Goldberg ends up hitting a uh, front suplex off of that maneuver. Goldberg then does a side slam and gets a long two count from referee Mickey J. Goldberg uh, does try to do another cross arm bar on the mat with DDP, but DDP kind of scurries over and uses his legs to touch the bottom rope in order to break the hold. Both men back on their feet. Goldberg Irish whips DDP, and uh, DDP or Goldberg tries to catch DDP for a tilt a whirl slam, but DDP ends up countering and doing a head scissors, which is kind of like a cruiserweight uh, type of maneuver. Wasn't expecting that at all from Diamond Dallas Page. Goldberg immediately gets up from that head scissors takedown and does a standing sidekick that sends Page reeling into the corner turnbuckle. Goldberg now on the opposite side of the ring attempts to do a spear as Page is leaning up against the turnbuckle, but Diamond Dallas Page moves and Goldberg goes hard into the corner, uh, shoulder into the ring post, and then momentum carrying him out onto the floor. Goldberg slowly but eventually crawls back into the ring. He's selling that his right shoulder has been damaged from missing the spear. 
We see Diamond Dallas Page climb to the top rope and hit a diving clothesline onto Goldberg, gets a two count from the referee. Goldberg ends up uh, reversing an Irish whip attempt that Diamond Dallas Page set up for. On the rebound, Diamond Dallas Page hits a jumping DDT uh, reversal onto Goldberg. Uh, we see Diamond Dallas Page signaling for the diamond cutter, but by the time he turns around, Goldberg hits an amazing-looking spear, and that got huge crowd response. Crowd went amazingly nuts for it. Uh, when the spear was hit, it took forever for Goldberg to try to do uh, a follow-up, but he does eventually pick up Diamond Dallas Page, and he attempts to pick him up for the jackhammer. His first attempt, he couldn't lift DDP up all the way, so now he's setting up for the front face lock again. Picks up Diamond Dallas Page, but Diamond Dallas Page is able to kind of cradle out and he ends up hitting a diamond cutter onto Goldberg, and that got a huge crowd pop. Both men are now down, uh, and referee Mickey J is counting. We get a long eight count, and by the time the eight count happens, DDP slowly crawled over to Goldberg for the pinfall, and he tries to pin Goldberg but only gets a two count. For whatever reason, Page decides to try to set up for a front suplex. Maybe he was going to attempt to do a jackhammer to Goldberg. I'm not sure why he would do this, Uh, but Page tries to do a front suplex. Goldberg ends up reversing it and muscles up Diamond Dallas Page, holds him up into the air for two to three seconds, and then does a jackhammer for a one, two, three pinfall and a huge crowd pop from the fans in Vegas. Definitely his most competitive match. I mean, by far. Page carrying it to one. And it's the story that does it. Even before that ring post spot, they're working the arm the whole match. It's like Page comes out and knows, I can't beat you. One-on-one, I just, I can't beat you. But maybe I can hurt you. If I hurt you, then maybe I could find a way to win. Like, I, I swear he might be the first one to have hurt Goldberg in a match, too. Where it's like, oh, geez, this guy's not impervious. Something could happen here. But, I, I mean, it's clearly Paige, because we've seen enough of Goldberg, I think, for counters, for moves, for sequences, like, just making it work. But, geez, that end spot's fantastic. Where he hits the spear, is hurt even more, can't give up for Jackhammer, Paige reversing it into Diamond Cutter. God, that's so good. I mean, I knew Paige didn't win the title here. And I was still fooled. I'm like, wait, am I am I forgetting? Am I forgetting everything? What's about to happen here? Is he going to win? Absolutely fantastic. A hell of a match there. And I think I appreciate it more so than, you know, if we did a monthly or every other month one like In Your House was. By going yearly for the last few this is the battle bull champion winning this, you know, going toe to toe with it. This is the guy told he has too many gimmicks. This is a guy just a couple years ago coming out with max muscle for no good reason. And here he has taken Goldberg, the biggest star that they have to, as we were saying, arguably his best match. Like it's just incredible to see it. Love the hell out of this match. And also like a sleeper. I think after 97, we're like, all right, there's probably not another good, you know, real good match coming up here. 
no, absolutely. This match was awesome. I mean, it really, really was. And the crowd ate it up, too, which is... Oh, the crowd was all over this. They were so super hot for this match. It just goes to show you, though, if this match would have closed out and everyone at the pay-per-view audience would have saw this match, that this pay-per-view would have gotten a lot of thumbs up instead of the thumbs down. So, question here. Um, I'm sure they obviously knew they were running short on time. So what about a revisionist rebooking of this match? Knowing that they had such a short amount of time, what if they did the uh, the Brock Lesnar Goldberg match, the thirty, you know, the sixty seventy second squash from Survivor Series? Could you? Would I mean? Either way, we got the win for for Goldberg. What do you think? I mean. Do you think there was more harm than than done by the pay-per-view running late and then just giving away the main event the next night on the pay-per-view? Or do you think they should have rebooked everything quickly on the fly and done a super quick squash just to get the pay-per-view done? No, I like the way they booked it. Because if they would have did a squash, it would have killed DDP's push. I mean, it would have just... It would have just killed his momentum. Well, not only do I think a squash would have killed it, but honestly, maybe by putting having to put this match for free the next night on Nitro, you helped build DDP, though. Because now a lot of people are seeing on Nitro that may have not ordered the pay-per-view. So you're building up DDP in a way, too. You're getting this great match of his across to even more eyes. Like, maybe that helped him you know, continue to rise. All right, guys, that's going to do it for Halloween Havoc 1998. We We made it through another one. Um, so of course we got to go ahead and rank this. Um, all right, let's let's have the top five conversation for the DDP Goldberg match. We're gonna start at number five, work our way up, see if it cracks in there. I think get in our top five. So currently number five is Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. at Halloween Havoc 1996. Ouch. Yeah. You okay, there, Kevin. <laughs> I can't remember what was number five, and geez, that's a good match. I'm going to say this is better because of the crowd. I, I would agree. I think the crowd was super hype, hot for this match. The DDP Mysterio, that was like a, uh, the opening match in 96, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I would be pushing it over that one. All right, I'll give you that. All right, number four on the list. Is it better than DDP versus Macho, the Las Vegas Street Fight at 97 the year before? Gosh, I think it is. Yeah, I, I really do. Yeah, insurance that wasn't needed. Couple silliness, great match still, but I'll put it ahead. Yeah. All right. Is it better than our current number three, which is Hogan versus Flair from Halloween Havoc '94 inside the steel cage? Oh God, why is this so hard? <laughs> oh man, because they're two different matches. I mean, they're really two it's different matches. So so different. Um. The thing about the the DDP Goldberg match is how crazy hot the crowd was for like any of the major spots. I mean, this is the hottest crowd we've seen, right? Yeah. Except for Hogan Flair, that crowd was going crazy. That crowd was pretty nuts. I'm going to say I got to leave Hogan Flair up up ahead. I'm leaving Flair. Yeah, I'm leaving Hogan Flair in the number three spot. I love I'm going to agree The Hogan, it just has something, it has that intangible to it, the, you know, more crowd connection, the, 
years of build up to it and everything sherry jumping off the cage um there's just a lot to it all right so ddp versus goldberg is our number four uh to round out our top five of course hogan flair stays at number three the nasty boy steiners as at number two and then Rey mysterio jr versus eddie guerrero is number one all right, let's rank the pay-per-view, starting at the bottom, working our way to the top. Is this better than 95? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it better than 92? That's Jake's thing. Yeah, I'd say so. I'll go with that. Is it better than 93? Cactus Vader. Cactus Vader. Oh, I don't see. Now it's just there's so much, there's so like, much crap, on this. crap on this show. Like the last... I mean, we we were kind of tough on Sting and uh, and Bret Hart, but like everything from from Nash on, I thought was pretty really good, uh, solid end of the show. Well, yeah, I mean, you have you have Hogan Warrior in there. Yeah, but I mean, the story that was trying to be told, of Hogan getting I, I his win the, back. <laughs> yeah, of getting the win back. You, you know what? This is my cutoff right here. I. Uh, I like one match on this card. Yeah. I I like one match on the card, and I like the whole Nash interaction. You like three matches on this card. What was the third one I liked? You like the Disco Hoovy match. And you like like every Nitro Girl segment. There's so much garbage on this card. I don't even think it's a good two hours. All right, so we will put it right there then. Um, I I thought that it would have been a little higher, but I honestly, this was the range that I thought it would go in. I thought it would... It wasn't going to pass 94 with the Hogan Flair main event, in my opinion. So, which is the one right above it. So, or two above it, excuse me. So, having that cutoff being 93. Of course, our top uh, pay per views, we'll just do our top three. Of course, number three is 91, number two is 97, and number one is 1996. All right, guys, next week. Our penultimate episode of the Halloween Havoc series is Halloween Havoc 1999. And the main event is Sting versus Goldberg for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. So just looking at the card, interesting matches on this card. So I look forward to it. Do you remember anything from Halloween Havoc 99? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, neither do I. (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) I think this was the end of uh, really the Monday Night Wars. I wasn't really watching, you know, WCW at this at this point. No, we all got away from it when they when they ended up doing the the refresh and hit the reset button when they stripped everybody of the titles in two thousand and started. Fr- it, that was that was the end of it for me. I mean, this is right around there, so this is the yeah. end of ninety nine. So right, uh, very interesting event. Um, of course, penultimate episode after this. We got one more, and then we got our Santa with Muscles Holiday Spectacular. Um, and then we're going to, of course, do our year-end uh, episode. And then, guys, we're on to another season. Saturday night's main event comes to Thursday mornings on the House Show podcast. We're excited. Very, very excited for that. Educator of Excellence, what do you want to say to the people out there? Oh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And thank you for being along with us on this ride as we've gone through our In Your House series. 
Uh, we're working through Halloween Havocs and our future projects to come. Want to say thank you to my two colleagues here. As always, fun to hang out with you guys. Get your versions, your revisionists, your histories uh, as to uh, your, you know, your impressions of the show. Looking back, you know, at the rewatch and what your take is and how it compares to my perspective. And it's just it, always fun to converse and and looking at how we see things, you know, from a different set of eyes. The nostalgia goggles, whether or not they're exceptionally cloudy or they are as clear as ever. Uh, again, always a thank you to the Retro Network. We th- we appreciate your willingness to continue to support us and being a platform for us to you know be able to basically provide this content. Um, we we thank you for your support and we hope we can continue to provide. Uh, content uh, for your program and as always i want to say just follow me on twitter at maddie treats uh, cl- click all of the links in the show notes click the one for the coupon code for fun.com click the one for kevin's patreon to watch him set himself on fire click the one so you can listen to our holiday playlist I mean, we got a lot of stuff in there now a lot of stuff in there and the, click all those links Um, And, of course, thank you to everyone that supports us. Thank you to the Retro Network. Always fun. Thank you to my two co-hosts. And thank you to you, the listener. Really do appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I look forward, guys, to what's coming up on the horizon. And, Kevin Hellions, why don't you take us home? All right, another fun show, guys. Thank you to my co-hosts here. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you, WWE Network, for... Uh, the content that we review on here thank you to richard reader and jason gross for our logo you can follow us across the internet at trn house show you can follow matt at maddie treats you can follow me at mass library MassLibrary.com is the home blog and like treat said there's also a patreon link in the description for the show shout out to our friends over at odds with wrestling and guys i, I just want to say i think i can guarantee that three of us no matter how many how much we talk about how many matches are on the card we will never be cut for time this has been a presentation of the retro network